This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. Today we're starting a new series called On the House for the next four weeks. I've invited people that I would label as friends of our house to be here with us to share a word uniquely that they have for this house. I'm excited about what each of these weeks are going to mean. Now, today, uh, I'm so thankful for the, the young fellow that's with us today, Ronnie Russell. Um, Ronnie serves our church as one of our overseers. I have a board of five pastors from across the nation. Um, Ronnie's the, the local one. He's the one that's here in town. And, uh, and essentially, they're there to be my bosses. I mean, they're the ones who keep me accountable. They're the ones that when I have a question, hey, can I do this? Can I try this? What do you think about doing this? Should we do a series called F-bombs? You know, that's where years ago, you can go find that on your app. It's years ago we did that. All right, so I'll ask them what they think of that. And um, and, and so a lot of times they're like, that sounds awesome. Go for it. Every once in a while, Ronnie will be like, that's stupid, Kevin. Don't do that. It's going to get you in some trouble. All right. And so they're, they're super helpful for that. You know, Ronnie was, um, I'm going to set this down so I can use all my hands to talk. Ronnie was one of a group of about uh, five pastors that I got introduced to when this was nothing but a dream in my heart. And we sat down at, at a, a table at a coffee shop and I shared the dream. And what was so awesome is that the guys that were at that table all were like, that's a good idea. You should do it. You should do it. But Ronnie was the one that pulled me aside and said, we'll help. However we can, I don't know how we can help, but I'll, I'll use whatever I have in my resources to help you. And You know, Ronnie, um, not too long after we had kind of made the initial uh, move and we were trying to sell our house in South Carolina that we had bought, um, I don't know if anybody in here was in that mess where we had bought it right in the right before the housing market collapsed in 2007. And so we just weren't able to sell it for what we needed. And we're really worried about how we're going to do this. Um, out of the blue, got a call from Ronnie and, and, and from Mission Baptist Church, which is in Locust. He had pastored there for 35 years. It was at the very end of his tenure. And they said, listen, we have a little house right next to our church. You can live there for free. Just pay the power bill. Now, what I didn't know was that the power bill was going to at times be like a mortgage, okay, because it had no insulation in it at all, at all. You know, the summer months, the winter months were not fun for paying the power bill. But for two years, we really would not have financially been able to do what we did in the first couple years if it wouldn't have been for mission. Um, they were so in just helpful in that season. And and not only that, but but I think about, you know, when I look at the, the end of this season, you know, uh, the end of having pastored and, and getting to a season where you, you hand off your church successfully to the next generation, which Ronnie did, installed leaders that were all across the board younger than him and left the church in such good shape. 
But, but I have to say this. I got a little choked up when I said it in the first service, that if, if, I, if I were to dream about who I would want to be in that season, it would be Ronnie Russell. Because Ronnie, in the last few years of serving at Mission, fell in love with doing international missions in Honduras. And so coming out of, uh, as he went into retirement, he founded a ministry called Live Again Ministries with the heart really behind it to alleviate material and spiritual poverty in communities worldwide. They now work in South Africa and Honduras, which is where we also work, but they work locally. And, and if you don't know this, which many of you wouldn't, uh, we support one of their ministries. It's called the Tribe Program. And Tribe actually works in our West Stanley schools. They identify kids that are at risk. Something's going on in their life. They're not doing well in school. And they, we actually provide resources financially to get them connected with peer mentors and they go through a program and they meet after school and all the re we're able to help financially to provide that uh, and really all of that coming out of Ronnie's heart now today Ronnie's going to talk to us and I think this is such a good message because in this world and I don't know if you've watched things over the last couple years but it feels a little bit like where there was a lot of love there isn't y'all feel that today where there was, it felt like, you know, in families and in churches and in communities that, that there was a lot of love, but it feels like maybe that's grown cold. Ronnie's going to give us, I believe, a, a, a call today from God. And there's nobody, I don't know a person that's more qualified to deliver this message because what he's going to talk about is something that he lives out. And so I, I'm so excited about what this is going to produce in our hearts uh, because it's really helpful. It's a great message for us in this season. So would you guys welcome my friend, Ronnie Russell. Thank you, man. Thank you, Kevin. Your introductions get better and better. So it's good to be with you today, as always. I think I've been coming once a year for several years now, maybe a year or two was missed, but I always look forward to this and always look forward to seeing old friends. Some of you, I don't remember your name, but I remember your face, so thank you when you say, hello, I'm so-and-so. That helps me. We also always see people that I know from a previous life, I will say, and that's, that has happened today a couple of times. Our tribe program, just to give you an update on that, as Kevin mentioned, we are so thankful for our or your support of what we're doing, not only financially, but it just means so much to, to us. It touches our heart that you believe in what we're doing or what God is doing through us to that extent. And so that means a great deal to us, and we thank you for that. We were dormant for a couple of years during the pandemic, Schools were closed, and we restarted this past January. We have a new director. We have some wonderful volunteers. I think among the volunteers, we have three retired school teachers, a retired executive uh, in a business. Uh, we have other people who are, who are just wonderful. And uh, actually, we have four retired school teachers, uh, about seven volunteers overall, and they take turns. It meets, it has been meeting Monday and Tuesday this past year, 
the past uh, second half of the past school year, but we're probably going to go to three days a week again, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday afternoon. The, the referrals come to us from the schools, from counselors and principals and, and other people involved in West Stanley Middle and West Stanley High School. And we have had as many as 24 before the shutdown, and we are probably going to have or get back to that number again real soon. So thank you again for your support of that. And we also do uh, some work with the homeless population, some in Albemarle, but we got started. It's a long, long story about how we got started, but we got started in Charlotte, in South Charlotte, South Boulevard, Wendover, and um, Tyvola in those areas. It's not Wendover. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, we haven't been there in a couple of years because the population changed. So now we go to, on Albemarle Road, coming out of Charlotte, there's a Target there is a Lowe's, Chick-fil-A in that area. And so that's where we go. And we've identified another area on Sardis Road. We have about eight or ten volunteers who go periodically to visit. And we always say we're not going to, we, we tell them, in fact, we're not going to give you any money. Don't ask for money. Now, we've made exceptions to that in a couple of cases, but that's who we are. We don't give money to the homeless, but we are there to help them. And most of them are addicts, either alcohol or some variety of drugs. And we always say that we want to help you toward sobriety. And we'll help you take the first step. The first time I said that was the first time we went to the homeless community over on Old Pineville Road. And I said that, and after I said it, I thought, I have no idea what that next first step is going to be. But two or three days later... A young lady, 32 years old at the time, called and said, would you arrange for transportation to take me to detox? And I thought, ah, that's it. That's the first step for her. And so we did, and over the years, we've probably done that 14 or 15 times. I wish I could tell you that every story was a success story, but you would know better if you deal with the homeless population. But we have had some success stories. So that's a little bit about what we do, and I'll talk a little bit more about our Honduras involvement in just a moment. And we go to an island called Roatan, Roatan, and we also occasionally go to the mainland. We first started when I was at Mission going to the mainland, a little village outside of Tegucigalpa, the capital city, called El Rodeo. We still have maintained relationships with a lot of those people, and that's part of who we are. We... We don't just go and dump a blessing. We continue in a relationship, and we're friends on Facebook with a lot of people, and we go to the Google translation if they speak only Spanish, because my Spanish is, is not that good. So those relationships have become important, and I think disciples are made in relationships. They're not made with a book or any other impersonal method, but they're made, I think, in relationships. So I want to get started on the message this morning. It's, in, it's titled, When Love Ceases. I almost said entitled. And I sent that to an aunt of mine recently. I told her about a book that was entitled. Well, she was a former English teacher, and she wrote back, as my Aunt Jane would only do, and said, it's not entitled, it's titled. So I'm always careful to say that 
properly. But when love ceases, and we're going to explore what happens when love ceases. So here's the first one. The first uh, point I want to make. Do we really understand the power of our connection with other people? We've already talked about relationships and the importance of that. That's important in the tribe program. It's important in our international missions. And it's important to our homeless ministry as well. So when, uh, when love ceases, something happens. It's, there's a disconnect in our life. Community and family. In the Bible, I mean, these are ways that we connect with each other. And so in the Bible, there were bands of prophets in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, of course, Jesus has his band of disciples, the 12. We know about that. And so that's important. Church and the 12 and all of that are about making connections. And we get, some, we get a glimpse, at least, of the power of connecting with other people. Being a Christian is not a solo enterprise. We're not lone rangers. This is why we have something called church because it means in, in the Greek, the assembly that's called out, that's called out of their regular life and, and their normal world into something that can become powerful. And it can be very powerful when church is filled with the love of God. So, when we realize the awesome spiritual truth of how important it is to be connected and how the Creator has created us to be in relationship, when there's no love, we stop loving our neighbor. We stop loving those who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, and who are not like us in a lot of ways. But the first point is, when love ceases, something takes its place, always. We've been very creative as human beings in replacing love with a lot of other things, in connecting with other people in loving relationships, whether friendship or family or work relationships. We've become very creative in replacing them with something, whether it's staying alone in our room or in our den watching binge watching television for hours and hours or playing video games for hours on end we have many ways of replacing love something always takes its place and so some people are replace love with uh, with something like self-preservation and that is really when we become ingrown as human beings and even as followers of Christ, self-preserving. One of the school shooters in recent months had written on his social media that he hated people, that he wanted to become a, a professional school shooter. And another one wanted to uh, take the place of love by saying that he felt that the white race was, was diminishing, and so he wanted to do something about it. And he set out to kill people of color. When love ceases, something takes its place. But also when love ceases, 
we become scared. Someone has said that we become as scared as a frantic rat and just as dangerous. Fear is something that, that hinders us and overcomes love in our life. It keeps us from loving. When Jesus had this encounter with a religious leader named Nicodemus in John, the third chapter, he comes to Jesus by night, Nicodemus does, and, and he has a question. In fact, he's been apparently so impressed with this young teacher named Jesus of Nazareth that he wants to, to meet him and, and to ask him questions. And so he comes by cover of darkness because he's afraid that others in his religious circles will find out and he will be condemned as they had been condemning Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have life, eternal life? And Jesus very quickly says, you must be born again. Remember that story? Such a powerful story. And the evangelical church has used that born-again phrase as one of our marching orders to help people be born again from the old life of sin to a new life where we're forgiven and loved by God and experience that love. We're always loved by God, but we begin to experience it in some powerful ways. So when love ceases, we are scared. And I think Nicodemus was scared. I think not only of what others would, or how others would feel if they found out he was meeting with Jesus, but I think he was scared that his old religious ways were just not doing it. It had become too legalistic, which drives out love. It had become too fearful, which cast out love. So when love ceases, we are scared. Return. Returning to love is the answer. I remember years ago, you know, the sort of the customary Baptist sermon was about hellfire and damnation. And I remember preaching about love several times, and, and one guy came to me very critical. He said, why do you always preach about love? Why don't you preach about you're going to hell if you don't repent? And I thought it was a compliment because love is the answer. 1 John 4 says that God is love. God is love. And so we're on the good side of God when we talk about and experience and live a life of love. But there are also other scenarios that happen when love ceases. The next one is there is no connection with others. When love ceases, there is no connection with others. We cut off our relationships. We don't have an intimate way of relating to people, a close way, a meaningful way. It all becomes shallow. There is power in connecting, as we've already noted, through families and church and all of these other alliances that we have with other nations even. United Nations, some people say that's not, that's contradictory because we're not really united. And so, when love ceases, there is no connection. There are many threats to our world. The threat of nuclear war, the threat of other nations invading other nations and declaring war, the threat of climate change, no matter what your th thoughts about why it's caused, 
the threat of pandemics, and even in our own lives, the threat of breaking off relationships with others. And all of these threats often lead us to disconnect from others, when in reality it should help us to connect with others. But when love ceases, there is no connection. Maybe we've never taken love seriously. Maybe we thought Jesus was just kidding when he talked about love. They will know you are my disciples if you love, Jesus said. And if we take that seriously, we can make a huge difference in all of our relationships and even make a huge difference in the world. It's a dawning revelation, but in the Bible we are all called to be saints. That is not meaning people who are so good and have uh, the title of Saint Ronnie or Saint Kevin or something. That does, does have a nice ring to it though, doesn't it? <laughs> so we're all saints in the sense that we have been set apart. That's what the word saint means. It comes from the same root word as holy, which means that we're different than the rest of the world. We, we are called out to be followers of God and to love as God loves. We separate ourselves from the evil in the world. That's what being a saint means. Separating ourselves from the evil in the world. Not like racial segregationists, but it's totally opposite. God calls us to pull ourselves away from indifference and pull ourselves toward the love of God. So when love ceases, there is no connection with others. Also, when love ceases, there is no lasting peace. No lasting peace. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, I've come to believe through the years that there's a difference between keeping the peace and making peace. Keeping the peace is temporary. It's a lot more shallow than making peace because making peace being, means getting involved with others. Martin Luther King Jr. is credited with saying, and this is one of his famous quotes, although it was kind of a summary of what someone else had said about a century before him. He said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Now, do you believe that? That inevitably, everything is going to come toward justice, that there may be horrible injustices now. It's like seeing the glass half full or the glass half, half empty. Are you a pessimist that God is going to bring the world to some wonderful close? Or are you a pessimist and say that it's not going to happen that way? When love ceases, there is no lasting peace. In Romans 1-7 we read, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, in other words, saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace rarely lasts, which would cause us to be a pessimist, wouldn't it? Would cause us not to believe that the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice. But that's the promise of God, that justice will be served. And so when love ceases, though, there is no lasting peace. I have a friend who spent five weeks in Ukraine. 
in the month of June and leading into July. And he was a chaplain for Samaritan's Purse. And he worked at a clinic in one of the larger cities in a relatively safe zone in Ukraine. And a lot of refugees were coming from other Ukrainian cities who had been driven away from their homes and they came to this safe haven. And they came to a medical clinic where he worked mostly. And he told about one couple that he talked with on a regular basis. And they were devastated because their next door neighbor's house had been blown to smithereens and they had lost their lives. And the blast was so powerful that it knocked out all the windows in their home and tore off part of the roof. And so they had to move. And they came to this place not knowing anyone and they came with not so much physical energy, uh, injuries, but they came because of their mental injury, their emotional energy. And this is where my friend came in, and he spoke with them on a regular basis. And he was trying to offer them hope and a life of peace instead of a life of war that they had experienced, horrible war. The same thing with teenagers. So many teenagers who were growing up and during this horrible time were depressed and felt so out of place in their world and had no hope for the future and didn't see any lasting peace in their own lives. But my friend was there not just to bring and to uh, keep the peace, but he was there to make peace, to help them make peace with their life and peace with God. Many of them are believers, but yet hopelessness had overcome any hope in their life. So he was there not just to bring a message of eternal life, which of course is the ultimate peace, peace with God, peace in heaven, but he came to bring them a better life and to offer them hope that their life could be better in the here and now. And so that becomes so important. When, there, when love ceases, there is no lasting peace. And he said that the churches in Ukraine were doing an amazing job of bringing people in, strangers from other cities as refugees, and they were bringing them into their homes and offering them their homes as if it were their own. And they were feeding them and clothing them as they could. And so that is connecting with people in order to make peace not just keep the peace which would be like you're in our thoughts and prayers now that's important but that's just keeping peace temporary making peace is in for the long haul and that's what they were doing the promise of hope we got to know a homeless couple two young two ladies in their probably mid-50s and they were homeless at the time. They had been living in the woods in a tent for 19 months. There is a, an organization in Charlotte called Roof Above. Maybe you've heard of it. And they provide housing for those who, are, who need it and, and want it and apply for it. And so they provided housing for these two ladies. And it offered them hope. They kept saying, if we could just get a roof over our heads, if we could just find a place to live, and so Roof Above pays their rent. I think they have to pay their own utilities, but they pay for their rent, and they're able to live. 
somewhere other than outside in the woods. So when love ceases, there is no lasting peace. I think it's also true that there's no sacrifice. Without sacrifice, there is no peace making. Maybe peacekeeping, we can make just a tiny sacrifice, but peacemaking, which is deeper and longer and offers more hope, requires some sacrifice on our part. I think the church in general, not this church, but the church in general, lost a wonderful opportunity to reach out to our neighbors during the pandemic. Instead, it seems that we have become more divided but we can reconnect with people, with those wearing masks and not wearing masks, with those vaccinated and those unvaccinated. So let us turn to love instead of ceasing to love. Some may say that it's ridiculous to think that we can change the world. Well, it's even more ridiculous, I think, to believe that we can't change the world. The world will change if we don't do something but it'll change for the better when we do something with the love of God in our hearts. Next, when love ceases, there is no community. One of the homeless ladies that we got to know on Albemarle Road, in the Albemarle Road area, she's from Argentina originally, grew up until she was about 10 years old there, moved to Florida, and now somehow found her way into Charlotte. And she's about six foot two, which alone intimidates me because I'm not quite six two. So I always take a guy who is six four with me when we think we're going to see her. And she describes herself this way. I'm going to say it just like she said it. She said, I'm a biracial, six foot two, Amazon, lesbian, beer drinking, pot smoking woman homeless woman and her name is Iggy if you drive through that area around Lowe's or Target or Chick-fil-A you may see her she's pushing a golf cart not a golf cart but a shopping cart and she has a little dog in it now, her name is Iggy but the dog's name is Little Iggy and so when love ceases there is no community and we have tried to build community with her we pray with her we reach out to her and pray and, and just talk to her about her life. She has probably the shortest attention span I have ever seen. But we talk to her and we help her. And when we pray with her, when I raise my eyes or raise my head and, and open my eyes, we see tears streaming down her face. We're trying to help her to reconnect not only with the rest of the world, but reconnect with her Heavenly Father. When love ceases, there is no community. Jesus said in John 15, He said, Remain in me as I remain in you. And then in John 15, verses 12 to 13, He said, My command is this. My command, not just a suggestion, it's an imperative. My command is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lays down their life for their friends. Community, that is community. 
to sacrifice our own life and our own convenience because of the love of God in us reaching out to someone else. When love ceases, no one does anything. We've gotten to know a, a lady, middle-aged woman, who is single. Her name is Lola. Her real name is Aurora Romero, but she says even Spanish-speaking people have trouble with Aurora. It's like the city in Colorado because there's, you have to roll an R in there somewhere if you speak in Spanish. And so she said even English-speaking people, but also Spanish-speaking people have trouble. And so she just calls herself Lola, which most of us can pronounce without problem, right? But Lola, several years ago, started working. She lives in the capital city of Tegucigalpa, but she started working with a an organization in that city called Mi Esperanza, which means my hope. It is based in Louisiana, and that's where the funds are raised by a group of caring people. And what they do is reach out to women who need hope and help. Women who have been poor all of their lives, have lived in dire poverty, have even sometimes been single parents, have not been able to work outside the home because they have no skills, but they teach skills. They teach computer skills and sewing and art and making jewelry. I bought a wallet when I was there about three years ago that they had made, a leather wallet, handmade. And so they offer them hope. But when love ceases, no one does anything. But the love that is in the hearts of a number of people in the U.S. as well as in Honduras provides them hope. And many of them have found jobs outside the home. They're self-sufficient. They're not relying on family or friends. There is nothing called social services in Honduras. And so they have to, often they're, they have no food in their homes or don't even have a decent home in which to live. So when love ceases, no one does anything. So the question for us is, who is the Christ? Who is this Jesus that we follow? He's given us a great vision to join with the Creator in establishing loving relationships with our neighbor and with those in need. When love ceases, however, no one does anything. It's like living on a narrow cul-de-sac. You know what a cul-de-sac is? We live on one. It's a dead-end road, but it has kind of a circular turnaround, making it easy to make a U-turn and come back. And so that is a dead end. I make so many U-turns in other ways in my life. One day, getting my tires rotated the guy came out after he'd done that and he said, do you make a lot of U-turns? And I said, uh, well, maybe, why? And he said, because your right side of your tire is, uh, is being worn more than the left side. And I thought that was normal, but he was talking about the left front tire didn't have any wear on that outside, but the right front tire did, like when you make a U-turn. And so living in Locust, 
you, you make a lot of U-turns because of the way the highway is designed, especially in the Walmart area. But I make a lot of U-turns because I'll be riding down the road, my mind is on something else, and I forget to forget where I'm going and drive right past it. Any of you ever do that? And so I have to make a U-turn and turn around and go back. But instead of making a U-turn in your life, why not see the cul-de-sac of your life, the hopeless end of your life, as being like a birth canal? Jesus said to Nicodemus, you remember, you must be born again. And when we see that and create for ourselves a birth canal, we come out of the darkness of the womb into the light that is Jesus Christ. And that makes a huge difference in our lives. Sometimes I think love is too weak a word to describe what God has called us to do and who He has called us to be. In Romans 8, 18, Paul speaks of the glory to be revealed in us, the glory of God to be revealed in us. Remember, God is love, and so that love of God should be revealed in us as it is revealed to us. Allow it to stir us, to stir our lives. Allow it to stir our lives now. Do something that is uncomfortable to you. Have a conversation with a homeless person, for example. You see them flying signs at intersections. And sometimes we reach into our pocket and offer them a couple of dollars, which may be important to them. And many of them, in my instance, will say, God bless you for giving to me. But instead of maybe even buying them a meal in a restaurant, go in and sit down and eat a meal with them. Get to know them. Ask them about their life. And they will give you their life story. 90% of it will be accurate. I'll go ahead and warn you. Some of it is not. But you will not know that unless you continue in that relationship. So try that as a start. We have to start somewhere. You can start big or you can start little. But we all have to do something. When love ceases, no one does anything. What about you? Are you ready to do something this morning? Kevin is going to come in a moment after I have a prayer and issue an invitation for you to begin to do something about the love of God that he has endowed us with. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for blessing us and for revealing your glory to us, your glory of love revealed to us. And help us to take that love which you have instilled in us when we first came to know Christ as our Savior. That love was available. But sometimes, Lord, it grows cold. And we pray that you will help us to light that fire once again in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, wasn't that good? Give it up for Ronnie. You know, I was thinking about that as he was talking. I'm just going to go back through my notes, a little bit of, of, of what Ronnie said. When, when love ceases, we get afraid. Oh, if you paid attention to the world that we live in, everybody's afraid of something. It's going to happen with the economy. It's going to happen with the election. 
what's going to happen in my job. We're, we're just afraid, afraid. When love ceases, we lose intimacy and relationships. How, how many people in here would say in the past several years, I've lost a friend, I've lost somebody that I love, and it's, and it's happened in ways that I never thought it would happen. When love ceases, we lose peace. Lose peace. There's a a quality that comes with living out the commands of God on our life that at times we don't we don't experience as we lay our heads down on the pillow at night. That sense of peace that all is right, that it's as if God has ordered it and putting it together, but then there's times when it just feels like it's falling apart. When love ceases, there's no community. It's remarkable to look at the statistics of our, just where we are culturally. How many people feel isolated and alone? They don't have good friends. Nobody's there when they're struggling. When love ceases, nobody does anything get apathetic stop even moving in any direction you know a lot of times culturally we'll say the opposite of love is is hate but that's not true love and hate are real close to each other the opposite of love is apathy that's the opposite of love you do nothing not even provoke I don't even care that's the opposite of love. And that's exactly, God made us to care. He made us to desire to be provoked in our, in our hearts from our love to do something, to make a difference. So much so John records the words of Jesus. In John 13, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, Ronnie referenced this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you just simply love one another. It's central to our identity as Christ followers. And I don't know anybody that's more qualified to issue the invitation that Ronnie gave than him. His life, he's lived out what he invited us to do. A life that moves, compelled by love, towards people who are in the margins. I remember when I had just met Jesus, I was driving my mom and dad lived in Charleston at the time, and I was driving to go see them, and I stopped in Wadesboro to get gas. And I, I felt like God told me, go inside. I don't want you to, this is not about salvation, but I want you to tell that girl that's working there, I want you to tell her that I love her. And I don't know about y'all, but there's just times that I'm like, that's going to be embarrassing. And I told God, no. 
And I got down the road quite a bit. Conviction of God really got on me and I turned my car around, drove back and I walked in and I said, listen, I was here just a little bit ago. I just felt, felt like God wanted me to tell you just something. And that was that he loves you. You're on his mind. He's thinking about you. He loves you. And I left. You know, sad to say that it's real easy to get used to telling God no. It's real easy to get used to saying. I, I, I can say yes over here, and I can say yes over here. And there's a, there's a moment, at the, it's really towards the end of, of the Bible. In the very beginning of the book of Revelation, the, the Apostle John, Jesus' best friend, gets these visions, these windows, these messages, these prophetic, really just impressions that he shares through this book. And at the very beginning, these are often messages to specific churches. And one of those was the church in Ephesus. And I want you to see what he said. Look at this. This is Revelation 2, verse 2 through 3. This is Jesus speaking. If you read this in a Bible where the words are read, these are red words. These are the words of Jesus. And he's talking to the church in Ephesus. And he said, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. But I want you to see what he says next. Because I feel like there are a lot of us in this room that what Jesus says to that church is what He could say to us. The next thing that He says is, yet I hold this against you. You have, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Says this, he's looking at them and going, listen, you're, you're still doing your Bible study. You're still coming to church. You're still going on, on the mission trip. You're, you're doing all the other things. But, but the motive has shifted from love to faithfulness. It's shifted from love to rote obedience and ritual. It's shifted. It's no longer love. You started with love. I think there's some of us that we might remember that time when we said yes to God and it was out of love, but now, years later, it's been easy to say no. And I think that the call is exactly what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus. Remember your first love. Go back and do the things you used to do. Thanks for listening. 
This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.